y'all remember uh, what the subject is? Say again. That's right. Refiner's fire. Um, we're continuing that this week. We started last week uh, with the emphasis being on perception. That there are times when God allows us to go through things in our lives to refine our perception of him. How he wants to work in our lives, what he wants to do in us to broaden our perspective or refine our perception. I recall saying there was a probably the worst time in my life or one of the worst times in my life ended up being the most enriching, most rewarding time in my life because it was during that time where I was suffering the consequences of my own actions that God met me there and revealed his call on my life. A call that on the path that I was on and the mind space that I was in, I was not in a position to hear him give me that call until my life was interrupted and I got on my knees because I was desperate and I cried out to God. The very one I was blaming because he's God. He could have done something about it, right? And he didn't. So he's part of the problem. So I wasn't trying to go to God, but when things got to a certain point, I could no longer hide behind that false perception. I had to do business with God. And so I took not only my issues, but I took the issues of my heart to God and he met me in a very real, a real way. And, um, you know, I'm sure there are those of you who have uh, your own testimonies along those lines. But we're continuing with that refiner's fire, pursuing holiness. And today, the emphasis is going to be on persevering in trust. See, there are times in life that we're in the pit of despair. Does anybody know what it's like to be in the pit of despair? Well, that subtitle today, Persevering Trust, is an acronym. As you know, the way to get out of the pit, persevere in trust, P-I-T. Persevere in trust because just because you're in the pit, doesn't mean you've been abandoned. Just because you're in the pit doesn't mean you're not in the place God can meet you and minister to you and he'll eventually lift you up. If you find yourself in the pit and you're unable to climb out, then you need to look to the hills from which cometh your help. You need to trust the one who can reach down in that pit, grab you by the hand and help you out. So in the pit, practice pit, persevering in trust. Amen? Amen. Job, everybody's favorite character, everybody's favorite book of the Bible, the guy that most people, I'm sure, want to be able to relate to, says nobody ever. I really want to get to the end of Job because, and that's where uh, we will spend time 
in the final chapter of Job, because I want to say before we get started that Job, as tragic as it is, is a story that has a happy ending. It, it, it doesn't get talked about in those terms because he lived every parent's nightmare. He lived every individual's nightmare. But at the end, there is a happy ending in that story. And there's been many times where I was thinking, where I was just, Lord, I hope you never, ever, 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 ever say, have you considered my servant Cornell? And I'm not going to say I've changed. And I'm not saying, Lord, hey, Satan never comes to you and you have an occasion to conversate with him. I'm not saying I want you to mention my name. But I'm not dreading it anymore either. Because if God... You know, God had a reason for doing what he did. And, uh, and we may not understand his reasons all the time. There comes a time when we just have to trust in the character, in the faithfulness, in the goodness of God, even though there's not a thing about it that makes any sense to us. Job chapter 1. And I want to start here because it tells us about the man. It sets the setting. This isn't just some heathen. This isn't just some sinner that is about to experience what we're going to talk about here today. Job 1, I'll read the first three verses first. It says, there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was blameless and upright. One who feared God and turned away from evil. This is a wonderful testimony. There were born to him seven sons and three daughters. He possessed 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 5,000 yoke of oxen, and 5,000 female donkeys, and very many servants, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. So the book of Job begins with a description of his godly character and his wealth. Extreme wealth. The greatest in all of the region. So he's a man of means. Skip down to verse 6. So all is well. God is good. All is good. He's abundantly wealthy. He's been fruitful and multiplied. My goodness, the guy has 10 kids. God has given him seven sons, three daughters. And the Bible says that, you know, this guy so feared God that his children would have feasts all the time. And, and uh, they would take turns having feasts at each sibling's house. Everybody would be there. And, when, and at the conclusion of the feast time, you know, Job would lift them up in prayer and intercede. He wasn't just concerned about his own walk with the Lord. He so feared God that he's like, my kids, they might have, uh, you know, they may have sinned against God. So I'm going to intercede for them and lift them up. I want my kids to be right with God. This is a man who feared God. He's in an area and in a time where Men like him, people like him, were in short supply. But he didn't care what everybody else was doing. 
as for he and his house, they were going to fear the Lord. So see, it doesn't matter what's going on in our country. It doesn't matter what's going on in your neighborhood. There may be other people who are buck wild doing all kinds of crazy things. Who cares as for you and your house? Let your testimony be that you fear the Lord. You be among the remnant that God says he always has in every generation. For as long as there's a remnant, there's a godly influence in this, in this generation. If there's a remnant, then God's still present and God's still moving. Verse 6, everything was all well, everything was all good. And then one day, everybody say one day. (laughs) Verse 6, now there was a day or one day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan also came among them. Don't you think that Satan won't show up in church every once in a while? The Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? See, Satan didn't come up to God saying, let me at him. But he showed up. God saw him. Satan, what you doing here? What you been doing? I've been going to and fro, up and down. See, Peter tells us later on that he goes to and fro like a roaring lion seeking whom he may destroy. God already knew that. Satan doesn't always tell the whole truth. Well, Satan never tells the whole truth. But God isn't tricked by Satan Satan doesn't ask him about Job. He just tells him, oh, as long as you're here, have you considered, have you reflected on, have you considered my servant Job? And God is bragging on or boasting about Job. Have you considered my servant Job that there is none like him on the earth? A blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. How how amazing would it be for that to be God's testimony of us? If nobody else knows, God knows. Amen? And that is God's testimony of the man to Satan. Now, Satan, he can't question the facts, but he can question, you know, he can't question what God said, but he can question the, uh, the heart of the man. Satan answered the Lord and said, does Job fear God for no reason? Look how much you've blessed him. Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You've blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out, here's what you do. Stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and I bet you he will curse you to, his face, to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. See, Satan doesn't have, when you belong to God, he doesn't have license to just do what he wants, when he wants in your life. You know, if you're walking right with God, unless you give it to him, 
Now, you can begin to walk in a life of sin and, 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 and give him place to work in your life. But if you're like Job and you're walking with God, Satan can't do anything to you unless God permitted. I ain't hearing many amens, but I'm telling you it's the truth. Search it out for yourself. Satan comes and asks. Or Satan has the conversation with the Lord. Lord says, all right, that's what you believe. God knew the man's heart. God knew that Job was not just walking with him and fearing him because of what he can get out of God. That all the blessings that you saw sprung out of were the fruit of a sincere heart and a sincere walk and a sincere love and a sincere fear of the Lord. He's blessed. By God, yes, but he's not fearing God because he's blessed. He's blessed because he fears God. But it's interesting to me that God says, okay, you can do it. But notice, God drew a line. Okay, you said there's a hedge of protection. Everything he has, all of his possessions, everything that, that, that people envy about him, that that, that make him in people's eyes a blessed man, living a charmed life. Okay, you can have at it. Assault the hedge. Only don't touch the man. You know, I was in Cushing the other day, other night, and uh, I went and visited Meg and her family, and I was on the phone with, uh, I don't know if I was on the phone with Brittany or my wife, one of the two. <clears throat> and uh, it's a place, it's an area of the town that I hadn't been in before, and, and uh, I'm just absentmindedly driving. I drive out of the nursing home, I hook a right, and it became, I became aware of the fact that about three, four, five minutes into it, that this road that I'm heading straight on, it wasn't the road I thought it was. I made the wrong turn. And I'm thinking I'm heading back to Stillwater, and, and I'm not heading back to Stillwater. You know, I got it all corrected and everything, and, and my girls were waiting because we were going to do wrestling. Uh, we were going to watch the wrestling match, and I was already running late. And that just made me run later. Um, and everything, and it got me thinking about, you know, I made, the, I made the wrong turn there, and it got me to thinking about how many times we have decisions in life that just like that drive, you make one wrong turn. You're headed in the wrong direction. And how many lives at a young age, lives were scarred forever due to one wrong turn. There's a lot of possible things that could have happened to me at wrong turn. Could have led to danger. I could have been lost. Well, I wouldn't have been lost. I'd have, maybe temporarily. We guys have a sixth sense, ladies. We figure it out. <laughs> we may appear lost at times, but... We just, it's just recalculating in the brain. It's, it's 
But God gives Satan permission. You know, the scripture says that he will not allow us to be tempted or tested above what we can bear. Uh, Job is an impressive individual. It's hard for me to imagine being able to bear what he had to bore, had to bear. Job just going through his day just like any other day and all of a sudden the reports just start flooding in. Satan didn't waste any time. He gets one report telling him that the, uh, the sheep are all gone. Next thing you know, the oxen and the donkeys, everything, gone. Either taken, by the, uh, taken or destroyed by the Chaldeans and the Sabaeans, everything, gone. And then the final, I mean, uh, each, each servant that comes and tells them says, everything and everyone is gone. I'm the only one that survived the experience to come and tell you about it. Ending with the one that says a great wind came along while the, your, your children were feasting at the house of the oldest brother. The structure came down and it killed everybody in the facility. And I alone am left to tell you the story. So in quick succession, This man that we read about in the first three verses, this man was so blessed. This man had all the sheep and all the oxen and all the donkeys and and all of that. Ten kids gone in the blink of an eye. All of his wealth gone in the blink of an eye. If he were a man that put his trust in the things that he possessed, boy, that sure would have came out then. It would have broken. It would have destroyed him. If he relied on his wealth or his possessions, he would have been destroyed right along with those things. But God knew that Job did not rely on the things that he possessed. He did not rely. His security was not in his wealth. His security was in the Lord. But my gosh, man, all of us have experienced loss to some degree. But this man lost everything. Seemingly in one day. And at the end of that chapter, of chapter one, is he's um, in sackcloth and ashes. He's mourning. 
And he says, the Lord gives and the Lord taketh away. He says, uh, it says that the Lord, it says that Job did not sin in anything that he did. He did not sin or charge God with wrong. I want to tell you how amazing that is to me because remember, even Satan said, does he fear you for no reason? You've got a hedge of protection around him. You've got, you, you've got him in a cocoon of love. You've got him in a cocoon of protection. No harm can befall him. Well, that's been broken. And you would think that he would turn some anger and frustration toward God. God, you've let me down. A common belief And we're not going to get into the conversation with his friends, but a common belief back then, which is shared by some even today, is this notion that if you are really walking with God, then good befalls you. If bad befalls you, that means something ain't right between you and God. Job is not immune to this. That's the popular opinion of the culture, even other men of God. And that's part of what he had to deal with as they went to go and minister to him. Ended up twisting his head up. Um, And in his defense of himself, he ended up accusing God and God had to get him straight. But after losing all of that, it, it moves me that the Bible says he did not accuse, he did not sin or charge God with wrong. Second chapter. Just kind of moving along. Did how many of y'all were unaware of the fact that Satan went twice to God to to get a piece of Job? Right? He did it in chapter 1. He did it again in chapter 2. Again in verse 1, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth? a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. He still holds fast his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without reason or without cause. See, Satan, despite what you had me to do to him, you know, what you asked me to give you permission to do to him, despite allowing that to happen, the testimony I gave about him in the first chapter still remains his testimony. He's still blameless. He's still righteous. He still turns away from evil. He still fears God. And so I can still say it's unchanged. His circumstances have changed, but his heart toward God remains the same. And I love it. It's human nature that we always want to look for the reason. What is the flaw? What is the, 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 the issue that, 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 that made God 
do this to him. God says, you, I did this to him without a cause. Without a reason. I mean, there was no chastisement necessary here. There was no reason that Job needed this for God to get through to him in some kind of a way. He held fast to his integrity. So let me beseech you. Let me encourage you. I know some of you are going through some hardships right now. And I can't tell you exactly how God is working in your life right now. But whatever God is allowing in your life right now is going to turn out for your good. Right? And if God, like Job, has allowed Satan to sift you like wheat, as Jesus told Peter, Satan has desired to have you that he might sift you like wheat, but I prayed for you that your faith don't fail. Whatever God is allowing in your life is that it's a refining fire. It don't feel good to experience. It doesn't feel good to go through, but it's going to be good in what it produces in your life. Think bigger about Satan's aim in your life. He doesn't just want to hurt you. He doesn't just want you broke. He doesn't even just want to kill you. He wants, but he does. He comes to kill, steal, and destroy. He wants to take the integrity of your faith. He wants to break your trust in God. He wants you to curse God to his face. And when we are doing that, we are giving him what he wants. He wants you to turn your back on God. And to help get you there, he wants you to believe the lie that God has turned his back on you. And we got to remember the, the character of God that he will never leave us nor forsake us. Looking at it from the surface, it might appear that God has abandoned Job. But God hasn't abandoned Job. Job doesn't understand what's going on, but he has not allowed his circumstances to cause him to believe lies about who God is and how God moves. And God's testimony of him is, he still holds fast his integrity despite all the destruction that he's experiencing in his life right now. So hold fast your integrity, brothers and sisters in the Lord. You may be struggling with the, with the mortgage. You might be about to lose the house or the car, bills, struggling to be paid, you know, feeling like God has abandoned you, but God hasn't abandoned you where you're at. It may feel like the house is burning down all around you, but God 
still has your back. Are you hearing me? He hasn't abandoned you, so don't abandon God. Amen? Amen? Don't abandon God in the middle of your trial. Don't let those trials lie to you. Don't let them convince you to believe lies that Satan wants you to do. Hold firmly to your integrity of faith, your, the genuineness of your faith in the Lord. We all have some valuable possessions. But there's not a thing in your life more valuable than your life. Jesus died for us. Amen? He didn't die for our stuff. <laughs> he didn't die for our stuff. He died for us. Amen? So if you've got nothing else in life but you and God, you're rich. Right? You may not have a dollar to your name, but guess what? He's going to give you your daily bread somehow, some way. You're going to be taken care of by the Lord. And sometimes we, we cling so tightly to our possessions that we get desperate and we feel like if we lose our possessions, we lose a part of ourselves. But sometimes the very thing we need to do is to lose those connections we have to those possessions because they're in the way of what really matters. Our ability to persevere and trust in the Lord. Sometimes we got to lose some stuff to learn how to persevere in trust. I, I, don't, I don't hear any many amens on that, but trust you me, it needs to be said and it is true. I'll amen myself if I have to. Sometimes we got to lose some stuff to be able to learn how to persevere in trust to the Lord. Lord, I don't know how tomorrow's going to work out. Okay, now I got I to gotta lean on you and trust you to provide for me. In this season of life, I'm unable to, to do things for myself. Are you hearing me? And so... That second testimony, let's continue to go on. Uh, verse 4, Satan has another rebuttal. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, skin for skin. All that a man has, he will give for his life. So first he said, attack the stuff. Take all that he has. He'll curse you to your face. Now that he's done that and he maintains the integrity of his faith, now he's like, oh, man, a guy will give up everything he has to save his life. Skin for skin, all that a man has, he'll give for his life. But stretch out your hand and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, behold, it is, he is in your hand. Only spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with loathsome sores from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And he took a piece of broken pottery with which to scrape himself while he sat in the ashes. Then his wife said to him, do you still hold fast your integrity? <laughs> it's hard to blame her, sweetheart. Poor sweetheart. Now, she's going through all this too, right? He didn't just lose it. They lost it. 
Not only all their possessions, she gave birth to these 10 kids and she lost her children too. So the title of this is Job, but this is Mr. and Mrs. Job going through this. It's understandable. She's like, obviously God is done with you. Again, that common belief. When this kind of calamity befalls, you have, you're at cross paths with God. He's done with you. Why try to maintain your integrity? Go ahead and get it over with. Curse God, he'll, he'll wipe you out and it'll be over with. Because I can't take any more of this. But he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive evil? And all this Job did not sin with his lips. My goodness, not only has this man lost all, lost his children, lost his wealth, lost all of his uh, possessions, he's broke. As if that wasn't enough, he's now lost his health. There's sickness in his body. Loadsome sores all over his body. There's a point at which his friends come to visit and the Bible says that they couldn't even recognize him. His physical appearance, his condition was so bad. They could hardly recognize him. And still, broke, mourning the loss of his children, loss of health, not just inside his body, but on the exterior of his body with the loathsome sores, he still holds firmly to his integrity, showing forth that his trust in the Lord, his faith in the Lord is not based on material things. It's not based on what God could do for him. It's, 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 it's rooted in that sincere relationship with God. That God is God no matter what I go through. God is God that is a truth that shall remain and shall never change. He was God when I was up. He's still God now that I'm down. I praised him when he gave me what I didn't deserve on the positive end. I'm not going to curse him when he gives me what I feel I don't deserve on the negative end. I may not understand it, but I know who God is. I said this uh, had a happy ending, so I want to skip on to the chapter 42 of the book of Job. I want to focus on verses 10 to 17. But I can't help but at least bring your attention to the beginning of that chapter as a result of this back and forth between God and Job. Job repents. 
You say, well, what did he repent for? He didn't have to repent for anything that he did prior to God allowing Satan to take everything that he had. He repented for the attitude he developed at some point while going through it. And I just got to say, these friends of his, and I'm sure they meant well, but man, they didn't do, they did him more harm than good. We can be well intended a lot of times, but if we're going to go in the name of the Lord to bring any kind of, to minister to and to bring any kind of comfort and stuff to someone who's really, really going through it, we better make sure we're actually going in the name of the Lord. We better make sure that we don't carry preconceived notions with us that we're going to operate out of that's going to color everything that we hear because they went there with the mindset already made up. Okay, Job needs to fess up. Job, we all know stuff like this doesn't happen unless you've crossed God in some way. So look, we're your friends, buddy. Just admit it. And they persisted and persisted to the point that he just said, you know what? I'm just, I'm not engaging y'all in conversation anymore. It's like they were not listening to his responses. And it was, there was a young man named Elihu who was present, but he just wasn't going to say anything because these are older, wiser men. He just he just wanted to observe and just let them, let wisdom have its, have its way. They, they, they lived more life. They were wise, and he was just going to uh, let them do their thing. And he got to a point to where he was frustrated with all four of them. And he spent a couple of chapters reading them the riot act spiritually. He chastised Job, and he chastised his friends he chastised the friends because he said, you guys, you are not listening to him. You're not here with an open mind. You're not here with an open heart. You're not here for God to use you as a vessel of honor to, to open your eyes to what's needed here and then minister in the obedience to the Lord. You're here wise in your own eyes, and you're going to beat him into submission into admitting that he did something wrong. And he had to so defend himself, no, I've not done anything wrong. And one of them says, okay, so either you did something wrong or God is not just. And he was like, I guess God's not just then. And that's where he began to cross the line. And then God had to deal with him. After Elihu got a hold of him, God got a hold of him. And, um, and Job confesses. In Job 42, verse 5 and 6, at the end of his confession, he said, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. This is a man who fears God. He's like, Lord, I, I, in some ways I heard about you, but now I see you. 
Sometimes going through times like that helps us see God in a way we weren't able to see him before. Aspects of God that we read about and we heard other people talk about, but now having experienced it, we know it for ourselves. Skip on down to verse 10. And it says, and the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he had prayed for his friends. And the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Then came to him all his brothers and sisters and all who had known him before and ate bread with him in his house. And they showed him sympathy and comforted him. For all the evil that the Lord had brought upon him, and each of them gave him a piece of money and a ring of gold. And the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. Amen? It's not that he, it's not that he didn't bear the scars of what he went through anymore. The scars of losing those children are, 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 are going to be there for life. Right, But it doesn't change the fact that he was blessed in his latter days more than he was before he had gone through all of this. And he had, remember, he started off with 7,000 sheep, ended up with twice that, 14,000. He had 3,000 camels before, now he's got 6,000. 500 yoke of oxen before, now he's got 1,000. 500 female donkeys before, now he's got 1,000. He had also seven sons and three daughters. Ten more kids. Are you kidding me? Ten more kids. And you know, his other ten kids, his first ten kids may have preceded him in death. He'll see them again one day. So this new ten, that's a doubling of what he had before. And he called the name of the first daughter Jemima, and the name of the second Kezia, and the name of the third Keren Hapuk. And in all the land, there were no women so beautiful as Job's daughters, and their father gave them an inheritance among their brothers. And after this, Job lived 140 years and saw his sons and his sons' sons four generations. And Job died an old man and full of days. Different people inherit, uh, interpret this uh, different ways or one of two different ways. I choose. When it says, I choose to interpret this, he got another 140 years. So if he was 70 at the time, he got 140 more years after that, and he got to see four generations. Just think about this. When he was in the middle of this excruciating, torturous experience, he had to feel like his days on this earth were short. Like he was, you know, uh, everything is falling apart. I'm losing everything. 
Lost my children. Now I've lost my health. What's next? What's next but death? Not only did he not die in the experience, God supernaturally gave him 140 more years. Sometimes when we're going through something like this, you know, most times we can't see the forest for the trees, but sometimes the solace that we can have in the middle of it is this. Okay, Lord, I've lost some valuables. I just got a bad medical report from the doctor. But I'm still alive. I still have breath in my body. You've allowed me to encounter something that I wish I didn't have to encounter, but I still have life in my body. You've preserved me alive. I may be sick, but this sickness is not unto death. There may be something going on in my body, Lord, but, but, but I know that my Redeemer lives. And, and Lord, I, I shall see your goodness in this situation. Sometimes we just got to be determined to look beyond the limitations of the situation that we're in and see God for who he is and, and, re, and realize the, you know, the truth of God's word that there is nothing impossible for him, right? If he said that he will not let me endure anything that's more than I can bear, then I don't care how I feel right now, I can bear what I've been subjected to. I may not be able to bear it alone. God never intended me to bear it alone. I can bear it with and in the Lord. If I cling to him, if I don't treat him like an enemy, if I don't act like he's betrayed or abandoned me, but if I maintain my, the integrity of my faith and, I, and my ability to trust in the Lord, he will guide me through. He will see me through. He will walk me through the shadow, the valley of the shadow of death. So maybe you have some issues in your body today. And you're worried, there's anxiety there, that's understandable. Don't forget God. You're alive by his work, by his will. You are alive, which means he's not done with you yet. And so you may have gotten a bad report. But don't let that grip you, your heart. Don't let that get a hold of your heart and make you move in fear. Maintain the integrity of your faith. The enemy will use it to get you to curse God. But if Job did it, you can do it. You can stand strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And say, even 
in the issues I have in my body, he is Lord. Jesus is Lord. And then you can speak to yourself, soul, we're not going to get lost in worry and fear. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Uh, real quickly, as we uh, roll down, I want you to go to Psalm 119. There's another guy named David. Just briefly, he wrote the song. <laughs> Uh, let's just say he didn't always have the, uh, the uh, good, clean, holy testimony that Job had before his affliction. <laughs> uh, verse 65. I'll do verses 65 to 67, then 71, and then 74 and 75. And... Uh, bring things to a close. But here are his words. He says, you have dealt well with your servant, O Lord, according to your word. Teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I believe in your commandments. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. See, in Job, it makes no sense. He was not Disobeying, He wasn't moving in disobedience and rebellion, and this thing befell him. And he had to trust God through it all, even though it didn't make any sense. But I relate more to David because I didn't have Job's experience. I was the one that needed to be afflicted in order for me to get it through my thick skull. But he says, if, before I was afflicted, before these fiery trials, I was astray. I went astray. But now I keep your word. Down to verse 71. It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. Listen to this now, because this is how God works in us. And these afflictions or these fiery trials, these things that we go through, that there is purpose in them. If we're willing to see it and submit to God, submit to God in it. It was good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. Those who fear you shall see me and rejoice because I have hoped in your word. In the middle of my affliction, I hoped in your word. I turned to you. In the middle of my affliction, I yielded to you. I clung to your word. I leaned into you and what you were doing in my life, and now I'm reaping the benefits of that. It's good for people to know that. Those who fear you shall see me and rejoice because I have hoped in your word. And the final verse 75, I know, O Lord, that your rules are righteous and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. In faithfulness, you haven't punished me. In faithfulness, you have, you have put me in the fire to refine me, to mature me. 
in faithfulness. Now, think about it. The man said that he had gone astray. But God was too faithful to him to let him stay stray. He said, in faithfulness, you have afflicted me. And I thank you, Lord. Thank you for being faithful to me in that way. We always look at God's faithfulness when something, you know, something we've been praying for, we get. <laughs> you know, something good happens, something that we've been waiting, uh, waiting for. But God's faithfulness also demonstrates itself in those hard things that refine us, that he uses to refine us. I pray that we come to a place where we're able to see God's faithfulness to us even in those things. Because it is his faithfulness. And that's why James could say in chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness or perseverance. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. See, there's something lacking, something incomplete. That to address, God has to allow us to go through the fire. Trials in life. Are you hearing me? I mean, it's let, but we go through those. How can we learn steadfastness or perseverance unless we go through situations that test us in that way? Any of you who've done sports, any of you who just go to the gym and work out trying to build muscles, when you start working out, when you start working out heavy, start working out hard, man, there is soreness, there is pain, there is all kinds of excuses for you to quit and never revoke your membership and never go back to the gym. You got, you've got, your muscles are on fire. And you know, as you're working out and pushing yourself, you're actually doing damage to the muscle. I didn't say you're destroying it. You're doing damage to the muscle, but, but that damage that's being done, some of it's a little bit of tearing, some of it is a little bit. You're, you're, you're testing it. You're stressing it. You're trying it in a way that it's not used to. But over time, over time, you're building strength. The muscle is growing. The muscle is getting stronger. You know, and it, it may have started off with the soreness and the tearing, but over time, it becomes a little more resistant. It's less sore. There's less tearing. It's just more building and building. Next thing you know, you're ripped. It may take a couple years, but, you know, you look in the mirror, and you're not seeing the same silhouette you saw when you started this whole venture a year or two ago. You know, but it all started with you deciding to put, willingly put your muscles through the fiery trials of working them out 
putting those muscles through routines that is more taxing than they're comfortable with. And you're doing it to strengthen them. You're doing it for the greater good. You're doing it to get better. Amen? And so spiritually, God does the same thing for us. You know, it's like our spiritual muscles, if you will, right? For us to mature, for us to grow in our ability to trust him, persevere, endure. We're going to have to go through the fiery trials of life, things that tear us a little bit, things that stress us, things that, that, that hurt. God's not going to leave us He's not going to leave us abandoned. He's going to heal us. He's going to minister to us. But he's too faithful to us not to put us through it because it's needful in order for us to grow. Amen? Amen. Praise the Lord. I'm going to ask you to stand. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. So I just want to encourage you today. In this story of Job, again, we read that that was a a blessed ending, a happy ending to a tragic, to a story filled with tragedy. I'll put it that way. It looked like God had abandoned him. Job's wife thought that he had been abandoned. That he had been abandoned by God. His friends thought he God was angry with them and was judging him because of some sin in his life, but Job knew that he had not sinned, not in a way that warranted all of that stuff that he was being subjected to. Bottom line, circumstances can be damaging, they can hurt, They can result in a lot of loss and pain. The circumstances don't get to to tell our testimony. Circumstances don't get to define God to us. Circumstances don't define our relationship with God. Circumstances don't define the favor of God on our lives. And so you may be in an unfavorable circumstance right now, but don't, you know, you know, two and two don't equal five. Don't, don't, don't say that because don't because you're in a unfavorable circumstance that God does not favor you right now. Because we just read about a man who lost everything. But it wasn't because God didn't favor him. God knew the man's heart that he truly feared God. Satan didn't think he could handle it, but God knew that Job could endure the loss of all those things that he lost, including his precious children. He could endure it and maintain his integrity in the Lord you too can endure it whether you've lost possessions whether you know whether you've lost your house or about to or 
or, or some, something else of value, whether you are, you've lost a loved one or you're about to lose a loved one, you know, all these things, whether you were surprised, you were the picture of health one day and now you've been hit between the eyes with a medical report that has you rocked and worried and scared. I want you to know that, again, you are not alone. I want you to know that you may be going through this, but God has got you covered. Sadly, we can't always rely on our bodies. These bodies weren't meant to last forever. There is an expiration date on these bodies. But thank God, God already has, he already has new bodies waiting for us in heaven with him. And those don't have an expiration date. Amen? We don't know yet what we're going to look like, but we know we're going to be like him. Amen? And so, hey, I will exchange the flesh suit for the eternal one when my days are done. And, and you know, uh, God will make this flesh suit of mine last as long as he wants it to last. And when, it's, and when he's done, he'll take me home. So I don't know how many more days you got on this earth, but don't let a medical report put you in fear because you won't, you won't have any fewer days on this earth than the God of your salvation wills. Amen? So just lean into the Lord, trust in the Lord. Um, you know, this, whatever it is, you can rely on him. He's faithful to you. So from the pit, P-I-T, persevere in trust. And when it's all over, you will be better off than you were before it all began. Father God, in the name of Jesus, uh, we thank you for the example of Job that you have given us. All scripture is God-breathed. There's debate over the authorship of Job. Many speculate it was Moses. No one knows for sure. Some even speculate that Job wasn't an actual man, that it was just a story. I don't care about any of that. It's in the Bible. So the principles, the point, the things that are to be gleaned from it, it's in the Bible, which means it's God-breathed, which means it's profitable, it's beneficial for us. For instruction, for reproof, for teaching in righteousness, that we might grow thereby. And so... Lord, I pray that we don't get lost in these pointless discussions that put our attentions in the wrong place. I don't care who the author is, who the human author is. I know who the divine author is. 
And of all the parables that I have heard, seldom do those parables name the guy that they're talking about. There's a man, there's a woman. This was a man named Job. And let the testimony of Job be a witness to us, an encouragement to us not to abandon you in hardship because we believe that you've abandoned us, but make it so that we give us the grace to know, to recognize, to boldly declare that my God has not abandoned me. And because I know he loves me and I know he would never abandon me, I know my God is with me and therefore I will persist. I will hold firmly to the integrity of my faith and trust in him. Because while weeping may endure for a night, his joy is coming. He's faithful. Father, help us grow in that and learn to walk and to persevere and, and to persevere in our trust and faith towards you, O oh God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.